some boxes should never be opened. Pandora's box. Secret boxes with secrets in them. <laughs> and ghost boxes, even though you can't open them, but they're still boxes. That's why they should never be opened. That's why today we're going to talk about a box that you should never open, but if you do, it will be bad. The Dibbit Box. <laughs> that was the worst intro ever, but we're keeping it because we are. <laughs> hey, Haintred Loves. Welcome to another bonus episode of Homespun Haints. I'm Becky. And I'm Diana. And we just had a very interesting episode where we spoke to Al Cooley of Ghosts in the Valley. And he told us some very, very, very scary stories mm-hmm. about his landlord. Creepy landlord, creepy house. Dude, creepy that ghosts. landlord, what? I know. I bet that landlord had a Dybbuk box. Mm, so, probably. But we started the episode by talking about an interesting and unusual gift that we received in the mail. Mm-hmm. A haunted doll. And Diana said that I should put it in a Dybbuk box. Yeah. And we didn't really explain what that was. <laughs> and then we realized you might not know what a Dybbuk box is. And so we dug deep into the Homespun Haints archives and found this little bit of information that we had previously recorded just for patrons. We're bringing it to you now. It's a rare gem. It was old. We we recorded it in 2000. 19, I think. And then we put it in a wooden box lined with gold and lead. And then we buried it in the woods. But we've unearthed this episode. Just for you. Just for you. Tipic. 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 Oh, wait, you're not supposed to say it three times. Oops. I thought that was the beating of his hideous demon heart. (laughs) I think so. I think so. Well, anyways, please enjoy this. We'll talk to you in just a second. (laughs) The traditional word for, for demon or evil entity in, in Hebrew or Yiddish? maybe Yiddish. Probably Hebrew. I think it was Hebrew originally and now it's a Yiddish word. But anyway, so... We could original- talk about the etymology of Yiddish later if we want. Let's, yeah, let's do that later. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, originally Hebrew term dibbuk, which hopefully I'm saying correctly. Sure. Yeah. Every, every link I found with a little box that says click here for pronunciation, when I clicked on it, it said pronunciation not available. Different Uh-oh. sites. So I, I think maybe something doesn't want me to know how to say it. Maybe I'll get myself <laughs> in trouble if I pronounce it correctly. So we're going to call it a dibbuk. But uh, the, the actual word dibbuk stems from the Hebrew root word dibbuk, which is like a dibbuk but without as many vowels, <laughs> which means to cleave and or cling. Okay. So, you know, when, when you're talking about Dybbuk's, which are the, the Jewish demons, you're sort of talking almost like a kind of like a possession entity. It's, it's believed to be apparently the presence of a human, usually a family member who has passed on, but had unfinished business that refuses to, I don't know, go into the light, go into any kind of afterlife Mm -hmm. accepted 
status quo afterlife and decides instead to cleave themselves kind of onto a family member so that they can possess them into completing their unfinished business. The person possessed is usually female, which is, you know, that makes a lot of sense because this is kind of came to popularity in pop culture. The Dybbuk became more of like a thing that people who were not scholars within the faith actually talked about like a folklore thing in the Mm -hmm. uh, 16th, 17th, 18th centuries was when it was kind of popularized, which is of course, you know, witch hunt time in the Christian church, right? So like all women were acting kind of weird. And as soon as they start acting kind of weird, Becky, guess what? They're either a witch or they got a Dybbuk. It's, Mm. it just depends on which faith they come from. So, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense that this became a pop culture phenomenon around that same time that witchcraft was extremely persecuted by the Christian church. It started kind of dropping off. People stopped really, truly believing maybe in the, the 1800s. But then, you know, there's offshoots and there's folklore and things that still mm-hmm. kind of keep the idea alive. Right. But right now, I get the impression that if you talk to an average rabbi or even, you know, Jewish scholar about Dybbuk, they'll they'll just say like, oh, well, Dybbuk possession is probably something you should see a psychologist or a psychiatrist for nowadays. <laughs> it's probably not necessary to perform an exorcism. Okay. But I also have read that exorcisms were incredibly potent and common 300 years ago was a thing. Yeah. And there's a cool description. Do you want me to read it to you? Yes, absolutely. So this is an excerpt from a book. Let me give proper... Sorry, I'm trying to divide my computer screen so I can see you and my stuff at the same time. Oh, you're getting fancy. No, I'm getting failed. Why don't you just have another computer screen, Diana? Right? I know. I have one. It's just in the basement and it's haunted down there. So, you know, <sighs> doing the best I can. So this is extracted from Harry Friedman's book, Kabbalah, Secrecy, Scandal, and the Soul. And it's a description of an exorcism, exercising a dick. Exercising a dybbuk involved removing it from the body in which it had taken up residence and returning it to the world of the dead. In this way, a small piece of the cosmic order would be restored. The dybbuk, of course, did not want to go. A dramatic, terrifying ritual was required to force the reluctant spirit out of the body in which it was squatting. The ceremony was conducted in the synagogue in the presence of ten men who had purified themselves through fasting and ritual immersion. They would all dress in the white shrouds in which a corpse is buried, wreathed in prayer shawls, their heads and arms bound with the sacred parchments worn in daily prayer. The exorcist would address the Dybbuk directly, listing off the offenses that the soul had committed during its human life, which might include apostasy, tail-bearing, suicide, murder, or ritually deviant conduct. The exorcist would then both cajole and threaten the Dybbuk, with the Dybbuk finally cognizant of the trouble it was in and the appeal to its better nature concluded the ark in the synagogue containing the scrolls of the Torah was opened. Seven scrolls were removed, seven blasts were blown on seven ram's horns, and seven black candles lit. Curses were proclaimed, incantations recited, and seven different combinations of the 42-letter name of God pronounced. Okay, that sounds like it would do it. That sounds like you're hitting it with everything you got. Right? Right, yeah. <laughs> so this, this is a, a real exorcism. This is what the exorcism was described as by Friedman, as as an accurate portrayal of an old, old school Jewish exorcism. Well, old school in Judaism is probably not 200, 300 years ago, but no. you get the idea. <laughs> That's modern with a yeah, lowercase m. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when was the last time something like this was 
recorded as being performed? Did they? Did he give that date? 1995. No, I have no idea. <laughs> <Sorry>. Tuesday. <laughs> and there concludes my excerpt from the book. Now, you mentioned seven. That's interesting. Okay, so I'm going to totally show my ignorance here, but I'm sure seven has something significant. And I'll have to ask my husband about this. I know that at a Jewish wedding, the bride circles the husband seven times to signify. Make sure he's not possessed. No, No. that was one thing at my wedding. I was like, no. And and the rabbi was like, "Uh, you got to do it. And I said, no. And he said, all right, all right, while we do this. You can circle him three times. He can circle you three times. And then you both do a half turn around each other. And that was our compromise. That's what we did. Okay. I was going to ask if maybe you just hugged while a cat circled you seven times. That would also work, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) We're just making this stuff up. So you never know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. If you could get a cat to circle you seven times, then I want to know your secret. Because cats cannot be trained. (laughs) String and a feather. But I, I'll have to look that up. I'm curious about the significance of the number seven. It was reflected in in pop culture in a way that I'm about to hit you with right now. Oh, oh, that's right, because you watched a really bad movie today, didn't you? I did. Oh, yeah. I can't say it was really bad. I said the cinematography oh. was not my style. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the movie itself, I feel like they really tried to tell a real cohesive story. They tried. Mm. (laughs) The characters in the film were not Jewish, and they had purchased a Dybbuk box, which has a long and complicated history, beginning in the year 2001. (laughs) So, (laughs) yes, believe it or not, you may have seen the movie The Possession, uh, which came out in 2012, I believe. Within that movie, they kind of go through what happens and, you know, it says it's based on a true story, which is true. It's based on a true item. So, okay, I'll give them that. (laughs) But it kind of tells the story of what could happen to your family if you had had the experience that one man claims to have had. In 2001, there was a man who listed an item on eBay And of course, telling the full truth about it, I'm sure, he (laughs) listed it as a Dybbuk box, which as far as we all know right now is probably the first instance of a Dybbuk box being a thing. The demons themselves, they've been around. Mm -hmm. The idea of the box is is a modern idea. It was not really a thing as far as I know before 2001. And everybody kind of links it back to this one dude. Mm. Okay, we'll go with it. I seem to remember hearing somewhere that there's actually a legend of one that was created during World War II. This is the one. Mm -hmm. So this, (laughs) so it's it's really unclear if the box is is genuine, which a lot of people think it is, or if it's just kind of a creepy pasta that this guy created in in 2001 when he had a great idea about how to sell this old wine box for $280 on eBay. Unclear. (laughs) You can find resources that claim both. Uh, Okay. Basically, the idea is he claims he he found the box at a garage sale or yard sale from a Holocaust survivor's estate and purchased it for a small amount of money. And when he asked the family the story behind it, because he was, you know, perhaps this is about the time he started experiencing weird phenomena associated with the box. He asked the family about it, and they told him this story about how, let's see, her name is Havala, I think? Anyway, how their grandmother basically created this box 
And the story is different depending on which version of the myth you hear, but my favorite version was that in the 1940s, she was going to seances for entertainment, basically during the height of spiritualism, right? So she's mm -hmm. experiencing various seances, getting into the occult, and they make contact through a spirit board. They make contact with a female spirit who befriends them talks to them several times and eventually says, hey, you know what you got to do? You got to bring me into your world now. I want to be there with you. I want to be your friend. And so they're they're like, okay, sure. And <laughs> <laughs> they hold a special seance and they're like, you know what? This is going to be fine. We're going to let the spirit into our world, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to make this fancy box. We're going to trap the entity in the box so that it's safe, you know, so she can't just get out there and haunt people. She's going to be trapped in this box. We can keep her. We can open up the box and talk to her and close the box. It'll be fine. She'll love that. Right. Exactly. Like everybody's like, I want to be part of your world in a box for all time. It, no. <laughs> so, you know, they've got this plan. They go through with the seance, release the spirit, and somehow fail to capture her in the box. Okay. It's almost like they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> See, yeah. Unless you got the Ghostbusters with their fancy pants equipment, it's really hard to get a ghost in a box. And this is the 1940s, Becky. They didn't right. have any resources to get this ghost in the box. Oh. They're just hoping. They're like, look at the nice box we made you, ghost. And she's like, I'm out. Yeah. And very shortly thereafter, they were captured and put into a concentration camp. I don't know about everybody who was at the seance, but the, uh -huh. the woman who made the box, who mm -hmm. was probably paying the medium, I'm guessing, for this party seance trick thing. Right. Anyway, so terrible things, of course, ensued. Horrible, 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 horrible things. She's released, survives from the camps, she's released from the camps, and she makes what is currently today known as the Dybbuk box. She's decided that, oh, well, back in the day when we used to have seances, we had that lady friend. She came over to the side because she asked us and we were like, okay. And, and she didn't want to go in the box. She must have been a demon because she tricked us, mm. right? Mm. And then I got locked in a concentration camp and tortured for years. So obviously, bad spirit. We need to do something. We need to build another box, a better box, and get her trapped in it now. So they did. So basically after the war was over and she was free. She created this second box and somehow believes that, or, you know, the story goes, she believed that she managed to finally get the spirit and or Dybbuk trapped inside the box. Okay. Box is sold at the family garage sale. Guy buys it, has bad symptoms. You know, he's starting to get lightheaded. He's starting to feel, people describe a lot of retching and coughing, a lot of feeling poor energy and things like that. You know, things that are obviously a medical condition, not just <laughs> not, not just I, I had too much caffeine today. Oh, no. So the box is sold. He realizes that it's a personal family heirloom, tries to give it back to the family. Like, I'm sorry, I don't want my money back. You can just take this back because it's obviously got a lot of meaning to you. And the family was like, no, thank you. We'd like you to keep it now, Slam. So back up his gauche. So he gave it to his mom as a gift when he founded the yard sale. He thought, oh, this wine box is really cute. It's got some weird stuff inside it, like hair and a penny. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to give it to my mom. So he gifted it to his mom, leaves the room, comes back in. His mom had a massive stroke, at which left her unable to speak for a long time. Ooh. The first thing she says when she gets, you know, the pen and paper and starts to communicate with him mm -hmm. is hate gift. 
which is reasonable. Later, she also described that she felt a, a mysterious, when she opened the box, she felt a mysterious gust of wind out of nowhere right before she had her stroke and collapsed. So the guy who bought it, his name is Kevin. He didn't really like take it seriously. He didn't connect it with the box. He was just like, man, my mom's had a stroke. This is horrible. I don't really want this box. I'm going to gift it to my sibling. And so <laughs> he gives it to his sibling. They give it back after a few days saying, no, 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 this is weird. We don't want it. Things are happening. He's like, all right, fine. And gives it to his girlfriend who gives it back a few days later and says, no, I don't want this. Things are happening. And he's like, okay. And so he sells it. And then it shows back up on his doorstep a few days later with a note that says there's something bad in this box. <laughs> Nobody can figure it out, right? When you look at it, it just looks like a regular, like, box that you would display wine in with, you know, a couple bottle stands and okay, ritual cups and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, he's, he's not really getting it. So he, he's like, you know what? I got to get rid of this box once and for all. I'll sell it on eBay. That way they won't know how to return it to me. <laughs> and so this is when the term Dybbuk box was originally coined. In 2001, Kevin lists the box on eBay and tells this really bizarre story associated with it. Somebody buys the box on eBay, gets very sick, things happen, decides to put it back on eBay to get rid of it since it worked the first time, and his professor bought it. And that is who has owned it for a long time. Well, um, I'm I'm not really, you know, the, if you want to know all the names, you can definitely look them up. But I believe it's one of the curators of the A.T. Still Osteology Museum in Missouri. Maybe he knew what to do with it? He wanted to research it. You know, he's a skeptic, okay. so he doesn't believe that it's haunted. He just wanted to figure it out. He did get very sick when he bought it, but he suspected that it was somehow poisoning him. And so he had it lab tested. All the lab tests came back clean. There was nothing wrong with the box that should have poisoned a human, and yet he got very sick. So he was advised to encase it in acacia wood lined with 24 karat gold, which he did, and then eventually it ended up buried in the woods on his property. So he got very healthy after that. Although he started to age again normally, which apparently he didn't do when he had the box in his house. Oh, yeah. you can see immortality, but like I don't know. Maybe just him. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of... You know, for me, I kind of think of it as, as a creepypasta because it spawned this movement of people who have eBay listings for Dybbuk boxes. 425 mm -hmm. results for Dybbuk box in the sold category on eBay. Oh, so you really are... did do your research. <laughs> it's just funny. People are, are buying and selling these, I, I don't know, I want to say fake, but who know. knows I... when it comes to demons, uh, boxes on eBay called Dybbuk boxes. The taglines for the listings are all, do not open, extremely haunted, very dangerous, $89 <laughs> opening bid, you know, <laughs> like, what? And so you can also go on YouTube and watch people, perhaps fated people, unboxing their new Dybbuk boxes, opening them despite the warning. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, a cool, creepy pasta stemming from an ancient evil. Mm. Pop culture is so fun. Lit. <laughs> the most modern reference to a Dybbuk is, of course, in D&D. It's one of the monsters in D&D, of course. It looks like a jellyfish, mm. which attempts to possess and control dead bodies. But that's all D&D. That's in D&D, yeah. Okay. Would you open a Dybbuk box, Diana? That is the question, isn't it? And yes. the question is, would it be a real Dybbuk box or would it be an eBay Dybbuk box? Because, yes, well, I would open an eBay Dybbuk box. Well, how would you know it was real? 
How would like, well there is just the one, the original. That's the question. Is that one real? All the other ones, I'm just gonna go ahead and say are not real because why would the same person have 44 of them listed on eBay at the same time? Yeah. And like for for example, this one listing that says rare Chinese Dybbuk box, very dangerous <laughs> gin. <laughs> Wait, gin aren't from China, are they? <laughs> Nor are Dybbuk's. <laughs> this is completely bizarre cultural stuff. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, I would open that. But the question is, the one and only, the original Kevin's Dybbuk box, mm-hmm. Pavlo's Dybbuk box at first, I think, is that one something I would open? And? And the answer is no, because while it may or may not actually have a Dybbuk attached to it or inside of it, people who touch the box get freaking sick. <laughs> It doesn't matter if it's paranormal or not. I don't want to get sick by touching a box. That's silly. So. Well, yeah, there could, there could be some mold in it or some unknown something, some combination that we have yet to discover what exactly it is. That's kind of like the definition of the paranormal, isn't it? Okay, true. And I am not a scientist, and every scientist listening to that would probably be like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> unknown it's substance. Just- no, you're right. No, you're 100% right. There may be an unknown substance affecting people who touch and open this box because the family of the creator of the box never got in trouble. They kept it in a spare room closed and never touched or opened it. Mm-hmm. And so they were fine. It I wasn't see. until this guy who didn't know anything at all about Dybbuk or the box or the Jewish faith decided to start messing around with it. That's when it became a, a killing machine, apparently. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but would you open the Dybbuk box? No. 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 I mean, Why not? well, same reason you mentioned. I don't want to get sick. And, you know, even if it's not true, like, I don't know if it's true or not. So if there's enough stories saying people who touch this box get sick, I'm not going to touch it. If someone says, don't eat this mushroom, you'll kill you. And there's three people that that happened to. Well, I don't know. Maybe they made it up, but I'm still not going to eat the mushroom, right? Right. If the reason is because it's a haunted mushroom, you're still not going to eat it. <laughs> right? I mean, it doesn't matter why it killed people. It's <laughs> yeah, whether well, it's haunted or poisonous. Right, exactly. Anyway. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm just thinking like mush- I, I, mushrooms are probably a bad example because they can cause you to see things, even if they're not uh, haunted. True. Oh, that's yeah. true. So one of the reasons I'm skeptical about the the real Dybbuk box actually having the power to make people sick as opposed to just having the power to stimulate the subconscious to make people sick. Because remember, these these symptoms are like coughing and retching and hives and such. And you can give yourself all of those things just by being anxious about something, right? True, yeah. So in my estimation, it's, it's kind of like almost like a subconscious slash poltergeist stimulant maybe. Mm. And that's what is actually happening, is stimulating the box somehow stimulates some part of the human mind that because of their fears about it, it becomes a magic feather that causes strange things to happen to them. Because when they were filming the 2012 movie, The Possession, the staff was too scared to work with the real box, so they made a replica box. Oh, they were going to use the real one? They were At what? first, they were trying to use the real one, but they wouldn't. You know, I mean, was there like props department on a budget? Like, why not... Well, <laughs> why? <laughs> no, they usually are. I mean, that that's why they had real skeletons and poltergeists because they were. <gasps> oh, that's scary! I didn't know. You that. About, oh, you did. Oh, well, well, yeah, oh my gosh! Yeah, In you the know swimming this, pool with the guy. Yes, oh, jeez. Yeah, and she didn't. She didn't know they were real skeletons. The <gasps> actress. Thank goodness. Yeah, but they were. I've I've I verified this. It is a fact. They knew it. Like there's there's urban legends that real skeletons got accidentally shipped instead of fake. But no, it was cheaper. 
<laughs> to use real skeletons than to fabricate to make fake ones. So those were real skeletons in Poltergeist. And she was having real skeletons in the mud with her, clinging at her hair and all that. And she didn't know it until afterward. And she said, I think it like, took three days for them to film that scene. They film it in Roswell, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> they just had to dig a hole. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The bodies are already there. <laughs> we had the skeletons shipped to us, air quotes, because it was cheaper, air quotes. We didn't just dig a hole and there they were. Sorry, I digress. You were talking about... Anyway, so they were, they were going to try to use the real box the real Dybbuk box for the movie, The Possession. The staff kind of refused to work with the real Dybbuk box, which I think is acceptable since it tends to murder people or make people (laughs) very sick. So they used a replica, of course. And the replica made people sick. Okay, so that definitely sounds psychological. And I don't believe they made the replica by like actually making a box and then actually putting a spirit in it. I think they just made a box. Yeah. yeah, so it was a well, prop, and the prop made the staff sick and caused several unexplained phenomena to happen in the storage room. Interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you believe it hard enough. Exactly. So happen. what is it about the Divic box that makes it so so dangerous? Is it just humans' belief in it? So I guess that poses the question, would you open a fake Divic box that looks oh, yeah. exactly like... Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Let's buy one on eBay and open it. You could do that. <laughs> you don't want to... No, do it in your basement. <laughs> so, any more about Dybbuk boxes? Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm really fascinated by what was in the box specifically. Okay. Because yeah. remember so this, like this, penny and hair or there were a couple of pennies from the 1920s, uh-huh. so wheat pennies. And then there was some blonde hair and a tablet inscribed with the word Shalom. And so it's a tchotchke. Yeah, it's a tchotchke box, right? is what you think at first and and just things that are meaningful but remember the story goes that this cabinet was made by Havala to contain the spirit right Mm -hmm. so why would she put hair in there and the movie's explanation is that you're supposed the whole family is supposed to put an item in there that means something to them so that protected well their intention of sacrificing that item to the Dybbuk box is to reinforce the trap <laughs> to reinforce the prayer force field around the Dybbuk box to keep the Dybbuk contained. Perhaps that was that was the Hollywood explanation for why there were all sorts of weird things. And in the well, Hollywood no. version, one of the girls did cut off a lock of her hair and put it in the box to help trap the, the Dybbuk that had possessed her sister. Oops, I mean, spoilers. seriously, oh, whatever. It's a Sam Raimi <laughs> film. Um, so <laughs> it's either you love it or you're going to watch it over and over again or you're not going to watch it at all. So, okay, so I don't get that part because let, let's think about what was in it. I mean, if you were a spirit and you're like, give me your most valuable possession, you're like, here's some pennies and <laughs> here's a lock of my hair because that's not going to grow back. Ah! I also contained a small golden wine goblet and one dried rosebud. A single candle holder with four tentacle-shaped legs. Okay, the gold goblet, I can kind of get. Was it like like 14 karat gold or was it like gold colored? I don't know, but the penultimate owner was advised to contain the box in gold finally. So perhaps the gold has some kind of ritualistic significance. Who knows? Oh, and I forgot to mention that every single person that has had this box in their possession for any amount of time says it either smells like jasmine and juniper or cat pee but never both at once you know i wonder if it's like the cilantro whether it tastes like soap 
or cilantro. Maybe it's just like a gene. Like maybe it's... you have the, the <laughs> Dybbuk box smell gene. You can smell what it really smells like, which is cat piss. Or you can smell its illusion. Well, based on what I've read, mostly women smelled the cat pee and mostly men smelled the flowers. This is why the only people who have actually purchased this box are men. The women have all been given it as a gift. Oh, and they're like, it smells like a cat just done it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, you know, strangely, women women get possessed by Dybbuk's more often. Cool. All right. Anyway, well, yeah, so <laughs> it's an interesting idea. And, and if you if you felt like it, we could make a Dybbuk box together and trap some some spirits that have been bothering you. Because I no, I lo- say there's, there's been things going on. Yeah, but I like them. I don't want to trap okay. them. I think they've been nice enough. I'm not going to do that to some lost soul. That's just mean. And plus, you you need a you know a medium to bring them into our world before you were able to trap them in the box. So oh gosh, where would we ever find one of those? I we know. haven't interviewed <laughs> dozens of them. <laughs> would any of them be willing to bring a demon into the world? I don't know. Every medium we've interviewed has been kind of principled. I don't think they would. Do yes, that. exactly. <laughs> Had some good sense. Well, Diana, that was definitely a walk down a Dybbuk memory lane. It was very interesting (laughs) to hear all about. What a spooky thing. So Zach Baggins has it now, right? The original? I probably. In the the Museum of Haunted Things. Whatever. Vegas, yeah. yeah. Where he keeps those haunted things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for listening to us talk about Dybbuk boxes. And if you do happen across... A strange box in a yard sale and you decide you must purchase it <laughs> i'm envisioning it buried like in the yard like you're at a yard <laughs> sale and you get you've brought a shovel and you're like can i just dig here just to see if there's <laughs> anything down there that i want this is a yard sale i can have ever, anything i want from the yard right, right. oh you definitely have a spooky day Homespun Haints is hosted by Becky Kielimnik and Diana Doty and produced by Homespun Haints Media LLC. Editing and music by Becky Kielimnik. Show notes by Diana Doty. If you have a ghost story and you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, please visit our website at homespunhaints.com slash submit.